All right, so Pastor Dan was giving me a hard time because I kind of have a tendency to add ERs when they're not there. So, so I, evidently I slaughtered a couple of these names. But I know what they mean because I'm from Rhode Island, so it's all good. Uh, and it's funny because chowder is A-H, right? It's not E-F, but anyways. So anyway, so today I find myself, this is, you know, I haven't done this in a long time, but I'm back in the book of Jeremiah, and this is a, the third sermon. I find myself back there. And, um, and to begin, when we start getting back into it, I want to give you just a brief summary <clears throat> of some of the stuff that was going on, give you an idea of where we were in case you weren't here before. So Jeremiah was a prophet of God. Uh, he was God's mouthpiece to the people of Judah. His messages were consistently calling the people back to the Lord, calling them back to repentance. And the people of Judah were not in a good place spiritually. They were in a terrible place, actually. They were worshiping other gods. Some were sacrificing children to Moloch. Uh, they were burning incense to, to Baal, giving offerings to Baal. The spiritual condition was one of wickedness and depravity. So he was constantly calling them on the carpet because of their immoral and idolatrous behavior. So naturally, because they didn't want to hear the truth, they certainly didn't want to hear Jeremiah. So he was hated, he was abused. And uh, for some of you sitting here, you probably remember what his nickname was. Does anybody remember? Yeah, he was the weeping prophet. Thank you for the one person who paid attention last sermon. Um, He cried for the people because they refused to accept the messages from the Lord, refused to repent, openly disobeyed God, and they were going to pay a steep price. And he wept for them because imminent destruction was on the way. There was going to be a lot of suffering. There was going to be a lot of death. And because of where the people were spiritually, they didn't want to hear the truth. They were drawn to those who would tell them whatever they wanted to hear. They would tell them everything was good. Don't worry about it. It's okay. The Bible says, you know, their ears itched and they went to whoever was going to scratch them with the words that they wanted to hear. And this whole thing of him preaching and them not listening went on for quite a while. And he preached a message of repentance for about 40, 42 years. That's quite a while. (laughs) But when you think of it this way, Boy, the Lord was being patient with them, giving them a chance to repent, giving them a chance to change their ways, giving them a chance to choose him over them. But they refused to repent and they refused to admit they were wrong. And boy, they were making this one huge mistake. And this huge mistake was this. They assumed that the Lord wasn't going to do anything about it. And in Jeremiah 5.12, it says, they have lied about the Lord and said he won't bother us. No disasters will come upon us. There will be no war or famine. God's prophets are all windbags who don't really speak for him. Let their predictions of disaster fall on themselves. They weren't buying it. And they were going to continue on their path and assume that God didn't care, wasn't going to do anything about it. They scoffed at those who shared the truth. They had this false sense of security Because they had the temple of God, which they could go into. And they felt just by going in there that there was some safety involved. But even with that, God saw their hypocrisy, saw their hypocrisy in worship. And just as sitting in the church doesn't impute righteousness, neither does being in the temple infuse holiness. 
and he calls them out. <clears throat> and in Jeremiah 7, 9, he says to them, do you really think you can steal, you can murder, you can commit adultery, you can lie, you can burn incense to Baal and to all those other new gods of yours? And then come here and stand before me in the temple and chant, we are safe? Question mark. Only to go right back and to do those evils all over again. That's a big statement. It's calling out the hypocrisy of going there, just thinking they're all good because they belong. That's the one hand sinning and the other hand doing the right thing. And they're like, oh, look at this. But even having said that, they wouldn't wake up. They would not accept a chastisement when coming. And it was going to bring with it a refinement that most of them were not going to survive. Most. There would be some. There would be a few. And that leads me to another word. And that word is this. Remnant. Because there was going to be a remnant that would survive. And that word has a very different look to it when you're looking through the eyes of God versus the eyes of the world. See, in our culture, we're talking about remnant. The normal dictionary meaning is a small remaining quantity of something, which means it's a residual left over after the main portion's been consumed or the main portion's been used somehow. Even in Hope Valley, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but you buy, go by that clothing shop, it's called the remnant store. You know, and they're dealing with fabrics and uh, the leftover pieces from bolts of cloth. But even that has value, though. Because most of the time when we use the word, we're referring to leftovers that don't have much value. Crumbs from the table, so to speak. Scraps that may be worthless. <clears throat> this is not the godly concept of the word. And we find several variations of the meaning when the word remnant is used in the Bible. In the book of Jeremiah, the, the Lord uses it numerous times to describe the people, but he's describing them, and these are all part of the definitions, as the remainder that has undergone refinement. He's describing them as who's left over after everything, the dust has cleared. Of that portion that escaped, the people who survived, that's who he's talking about. He's talking about the remnant. You know, Old and New Testament, God often refines us in his crucible often refines us in his fire. And it comes through testing, it comes through trials, it comes through tribulation. Most of the time it comes with pain. Most of the time it comes with some sort of unpleasantness, certainly some sort of being out of your comfort zone. And many times in the Bible, God's refinement of his people it's compared to refinement of metals, gold, silver. And like gold, the heat is turned up until there's a meltdown. And then when there's a meltdown, in our weakness we find his strength and the impurities get separated out. In Jeremiah 9, 7, this is what the Lord says. Therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. See, I will melt them down in a crucible and test them like metal. What else can I do with my people? 
Let's be clear here. The Lord refines us for our benefit. He's doing it for us. But let's also be clear. It may not feel that way. The Lord wants his people to repent, grow in faith, submit to his ways, surrender their pride, recognize their sin, and to choose righteousness. Not only the people of Judah, but us sitting here. You see, when we're doing that, guess what? We're walking in the power of God. When we're doing that, we are relying and trusting in God and we're giving everything over to him. When we're repenting and we're growing in our faith and submitting to his ways and surrendering to his pride and recognizing our sin and choosing righteousness, we are 100% in. And that's what he wants us to do. And often the things in our life that hinder us, the things that get in the way, the impurities, the bumps under the rug, the things locked down in the door, the stuff that he wants us to deal with, he wants us to deal with it because it's hindering our walk. It's hindering our service to him. And many times we won't admit that. Many times we just rather move on with our anxieties or our depression or our things and whatever. No, unfortunately, sometimes Christians get sucked into the world with some of the worldly remedies when really they've never even sought God out for us at all. But anyways, he wants us to walk in his power. He wants us to do those things. He wants us to be for refined. The people of Judah, he wants them to stop moving forward on a path of destruction. And really, it made no sense at all. The 40 years of the truth, and they ignore it. They knew the direction was wrong, but you know what stopped them from turning back? Their desire. Their desire. Their selfishness and what they were focused on dictated their steps down that path, and they weren't going to turn back regardless of the truth. And they had convinced themselves that God wasn't going to do anything about it, and boy, they were wrong. God himself actually questions their direction. He's questioning their denial. He's questioning their lack of repentance because he's actually saying it's foolishness and it doesn't make any sense why they would do what they're doing. And then he makes very common sense statements. And in Jeremiah 4, Jeremiah said to the people, this is what the Lord says, when people fall down, don't they get up? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? Then why do these people stay on a self-destructive path? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? They cling tightly to their lies and will not turn around. I listen to their conversations. I don't hear a word of truth. Is anyone sorry for doing anything wrong? Does anyone say what a terrible thing I have done? No. All are running down the path of sin as swiftly as a horse galloping into battle. Man, that's addiction. That's addiction also. 
You head down these paths. Of, and listen, it doesn't have to be just the drugs. It could be addiction to anything that satisfies the flesh, anything that calls your name, anything that you want. It could be power, could be the addiction, because it just pulls you down that path because your desire and everything in you is like, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that. And you know the truth, but you can't turn around because sin has such a clause in you. And God's going, what are you doing? Self-destructive path. Why are you still going down it? For the Lord, it was common sense. Turn around. Go back the other way. See, their chosen direction, man, was going to lead them into some serious refinement. They were going to be in the Lord's crucible, and he was going to use a pagan nation, the Babylonians, to turn the heat up. And it was going to be the ones who had faith. It was going to be the ones who chose righteousness. It was going to be those people who would survive. They were going to be the remnant. And to make a point here, This is the type of remnant you want to be. Because unlike the world, this remnant is not worthless. This remnant is of extreme valuable in the eyes of God. This remnant was made up of those who hung in there. Those who have survived the crucible and were better for it. Those who have chosen to walk by faith and not by sight. Those who have relied on Jesus Christ. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, those who are willing to submit to God's plans, even when they don't know what they are. It's those who have been beaten up by the world, but blessed by the Lord. It's the overcomers, it's the conquerors in Jesus Christ. The remnant walks in the power of God. And when all that remains is the remnant, it means a few things. It means that those who have thrown in the towel are gone. It means those who have defied the word of God are gone. It means those who have chosen their own desire over God's will are gone. Let me say something here. Gone, but maybe not forgotten. Because with Jesus Christ, there is repentance. With Jesus Christ, that door, man, he wants people to walk through that door and come back to him. He doesn't want people to stay on their path. He doesn't want people choosing their own ways. He is a loving God who cares what we do, cares about our steps, cares about our lives, cares about our families, cares about our children, cares about our jobs, cares about our finances, cares about everything in our lives. And he wants us to go to him for everything, not the world. That door is always open for repentance. That door is always open for reconciliation. When you feel like there's no hope because you're drowning in a pit of sin, know that when you reach up, his hand's going to be right there. So let's not close that door. So what remains is the refined portion. What remains is the people who are steadfast, keeping their eyes fixed on the Lord. And this is who you want to be, the remnant. The remnant in the New Testament refers to those who are saved through faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God, not by works. Amen. 
But even within that, we're we were we're refined. We're in the crucible, and God's working us out to be more and more like Him every day, more and more like Jesus. So you want to be the remnant? It's not easy because many times there's suffering involved. Certainly there's testing involved. Usually there are hard decisions to make. Decisions that show where your relationship with Christ is really at or if you really have a relationship with Christ at all. Sometimes the decisions are so black and white and up in your face and sometimes they're so subtle. When Elijah had the battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, I love that story. The prophets, because God kicks her butt. The prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And then all of a sudden, Jezebel's all upset, and she's threatening Elijah, and she's going to kill him. And so what he does is he runs, and he goes to God. <clears throat> and he starts spewing his story to God. He's like, I'm the last prophet left. They killed everybody. And God goes, oh, wait a minute. No, there's 7,000 more. 7,000 more people that he reserved for himself that had not bent their knee to Baal. And they were a remnant. They were a remnant who persevered. They were a remnant who endured. They were a remnant who refused to worship another god. And they drew a line in the sand for, for the Lord. Now that's an up in your face, black and white choice, right? Worship Baal or worship the Lord. And they worshiped the Lord. But even in the small choices, we have to be careful because those tiny choices where we make unrighteous choices because they're more convenient for us. It's a trap, people, and it draws you over the line. And when you make an unrighteous choice and you make another unrighteous choice and then you make another unrighteous choice. And finally, you're over here going, how did I get over here? And it's because you keep denying Jesus Christ by choosing self. You keep denying Jesus Christ because the fear of the world and what's going to happen and your lack of belief or doubts come, come, come barreling in and it stops you from just walking in the power of the Lord and saying, Lord, you got this. Lord, you got this. And sometimes, Ross Jacone, sometimes he's going to say, Lord, you got this. Right, Ross, I say it all the time. Because you don't want to overthink it. It's not about you overthinking it. It's about the power of God. So we have to be careful because even in the small choices or the big black and white choices, we are actually making a choice to either serve God or serve the devil. Sorry, that's what it means. We're either making a choice to honor God or to honor ourselves. We're making a choice to walk in the belief or to walk in doubt. We're making a choice to walk in the power of God or to walk in the world. We have the same choices. And sometimes those choices are coming because we're finding ourselves in the midst of being refined. We're finding ourselves in the midst of being tested. Our faith being stretched. And even with like the pagan nation, Babylonia, the things around us, our work, our job, our co-workers, all these people are being used to test it. And I know you're going to agree with this. As human beings, man, we don't want to move towards suffering. When we see pain, we want to go the other way. Boy, that's not what the Bible says about Christians. 
As Christians, we're, we're called to embrace it. We're called to embrace the suffering, trusting in the Lord, knowing that he, we're being refined, that he's going to produce perseverance, character, hope. And Romans 5.3 says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that we, they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Man, it's so easy to say these verses. But when the hammer drops and the bottom falls out. You know, there's one in recovery. There's this, this phrase and. I know Nate Leonard loves Nate, are you here? It's not first service. Okay. Nate Leonard loves us. Or Pete. Pete Seifert loves us. Pete, you're here, right? You got to think about what you're thinking. You got to think about what you're thinking. And it doesn't only apply to drugs and alcohol. It applies to Christianity. It applies to what you're going to do next. Are you, if you have time... And you could think about what you're thinking. Are you going to do it for yourself or are you going to trust in the Lord? Are you going to follow the word of God, even though it's harder? Or are you going to take the easy way out? Think about what you're thinking, because I'll tell you, in those moments of thinking about what you're thinking, Holy Spirit speaking. It actually gives you some time to listen to that conviction that's going on in your head. Instead of just jumping in and making a huge mistake. Well, it's often in God's crucible, in times of refinement, through the testing, trials, tribulation, that a person's real standing in the Lord comes to light. Often shows where we are with Jesus Christ as soon as problems arise. And when it comes to the book of Jeremiah, I mean, we can glean so much from that, so much from their interaction with God, their choices, their attitudes, their struggles, their battles with desire over God's will. I mean, so many of the book of Jeremiah lines up with what we go through today. And we know that those battles still exist. And unfortunately, there will be some who are brothers and sisters in Christ who belong to Jesus Christ who are going to give in to temptation. They're going to make a mistake. They're going to let the enemy get a foothold. They're going to follow their own desire, of what desire regardless of what the word of God says. And listen... They're going to get knocked down, knocked down, but they shouldn't stay down. And they can get up in the power of God. Doesn't mean they're not going to suffer consequences for bad choices, though. But people will make bad choices. But we also have to understand this, that some people who are brothers and sisters in Christ are going to get stuck in a pattern of sin and they're going to find themselves on this road and all of a sudden they're going to have blinders on and all they're going to be driven by is their desires and their pride and how they want it and what they want to do. And the whole time Jesus Christ is going, turn around, turn around, turn around. And they're not listening. And they're on a self-destructive path. It's going to hurt them. And see, here's what people don't understand. This self-destructive path that's going to hurt them is like taking a huge rock and throwing it into the pond because the ripples are going to hurt everyone around them too. It's going to hurt their kids. It's going to hurt their families. It's going to hurt anyone who's friendly with them. It's going to hurt brothers and sisters in Christ. It's going to hurt. 
Good news? Hey, we got some good news. We have a Savior who cares about what direction we're in. We have a Lord who cares about the choices that we make. We have a God who always wants us to come back to repentance. And you know when we do, it doesn't slam us. It's like the prodigal son. Put the ring on, wrap the robe around, kill the fattened calf, and rejoice because he's back. We know this, though. Unlike the people of Judah who convinced themselves that God wouldn't do anything about unrighteous choices, we know, sitting here today, that the word of God tells us differently. Because we have a Lord who's directly involved in our lives. We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's out of his love for us that he's going to discipline to stop us from doing certain things. He's going to make us aware. And listen, conviction can be part of that. Conviction can be part of the chastisement. The thoughts that we get from Jesus to the Lord, the Holy Spirit, can be part of that refinement. And then it can move into the physical. And then it can move into, listen, the extreme of death. But that God does what he does for us because he loves us. Not that he's trying to beat us up. So the people in Judah, the destruction was common, going right over their head. For believers today, we know that the Lord is, discipline is real. It's a real thing that we have to, I should say, contend with. But we really are blessed by, because we have a God who loves us so much. In Hebrews 12, 5, it says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those, the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. I understand this whole discipline thing, this whole chastisement thing, is, can be scary. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not preached in a lot of churches because no one wants to touch it with a 10-foot pole. They're all about what God can do for you, okay? But it's a fact of life when it comes to be a Christian. It's a fact of life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's scary, but it should also have an attitude of gratitude well up inside of us that we have our Lord and Savior who loves us so much that he's going to put us back in the right path, that he doesn't want us to continue on that self-destructive. Listen, there are consequences for our sin here that can be terrible and horrendous, and he doesn't want us going through that. He wants us to live the abundant life, and we're on the path going the other way. He's going to do something about it. And that's a blessing. And it may not be fun at first, but we'll be refined. When the Jews were not listening and they just kept walking down the path, it was not a lack for lack of knowing the truth. They heard it. They ignored it. They didn't take God seriously when it came to discipline. And on top of that, they ran to those who told them that it was okay and just keep on going with what they were doing. You know, there is itch. And that's part of the body of Christ. We need to learn from this. We need to learn from this in the book of Jeremiah. Because when it comes to people going down a sinful path, and maybe it's not us, maybe it's someone, a brother or sister that we love, right? Which we should love them all, correct? I know it's hard, but we should love them all. All right? We are not called to enable someone to stay on a sinful path. 
We are called to go to them and to address what they are doing. We are called to share the truth of God's word with them so they will turn around. And now here's where somebody usually says to me, well, we've got to go to them in love. And I agree, but listen, tough love counts. And when you find somebody who's steeped in their own sin and they're going down a path and they won't turn around and they're focused and you hit them with the truth of God's word about what they're going to do, don't expect it to be well received. And actually it can get downright ugly. It can get downright ugly. But we're not doing it because we're beating them up. We're doing it because we love them and they're on a destructive path. And also remember this, they're going through something that's refining them. And as soon as God goes, tag, you're it, so are you. As soon as God goes, I'm using you, and you know it, you're going through refinement too. So that brings me to this first point. Oh, and this just kills me. When you know someone is walking down a path of sin and on a destructive path, does it bother you? Yes. Are you grieved by it? Yes. When you know someone's going down a destructive path, are you on your knees weeping for them like Jeremiah? And sharing the truth with them? Or are you throwing up a prayer and moving on? When you see a brother or sister in Christ suffering because they're doing the wrong thing, are you moved in your innermost being or just moving on? And it really should, it should, it should bring you to tears. And how you feel about brothers and sisters in Christ, man, is an indication of how you feel about Christ. It's wise to remember, and we should all remember this. Listen, we have four walls, and we have been blessed with New Hope Chapel. We have done so many effective things out of this church and out of this building. And it's allowed us a place to gather together and to fill our roles in this local assembly as the body of Christ. But remember, people, we are the church, not this building. And we should not forget or water down terms like righteousness and holiness and justice and accountability. See, the people of Judah had this false sense of security. They just walk in the temple and they felt safe. Well, eh, it's not true. God called them out on it. So please remember, you can't hide from God by going to another different four walls. Because just because you're sitting in another different four walls doesn't mean you have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're going to another four walls and you're hiding sin, you know what that means? You have unrepentant hidden sin. 
And there's consequences. And on top of that, let me add this. On top of that, you're missing what God wants to do with you, where you're supposed to be. Holy smokes. Listen, to run from accountability in the body of Christ that he has placed you in is not a solution to anything. The only solution is repentance and the power of God. How did it all turn out for the people of Judah? Not good. Well, it did in the end. Seventy years they were in captivity. They suffered much. Many died. A remnant survived. And it was to that remnant that the Lord makes a promise. It was to those who had been in his crucible, who had persevered, who endured discipline. And it's for us today who are led by the Spirit, obedient to God's word, and belong to Jesus Christ. And that's that Jeremiah verse, 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and future. Those are the people who are walking in the power of God he's making that promise to. Those are the people who have been through the fire unscathed because they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and didn't fold like an accordion as soon as the heat turned up. And this is bringing me to my second point. Because it was a remnant who were obedient to God that survived. And in Elijah's story, it was 7,000 who wouldn't bow to, to Baal. And my second point is this is actually a question. What do you really believe? Do you believe that God refines? Do you think God chastises? <clears throat> do you believe that the Lord disciplines? Do you believe that maybe you're in a crucible right now? Would you consider yourself like those people in Elijah's time? Not bowing to Baal or the first sign of pressure are you already going down? I'm just going to say this. It's a great time to once again examine yourself and ask yourself these tough questions. Because where are you with Jesus Christ in your relationship? Because Christ has a plan for you. And let me read this one more time. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. He wants to use each one of us. Let us not be the hindrance to it. Let us not be the one to get in the way. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And then I know we went late today and I, I apologize for that, but I don't apologize for the word of God going forth. Amen. Amen. So, Lord, we just praise your name, Jesus. We thank you for this time together, Lord. I pray that each one of us, Lord, that we would hear the voice of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would answer the thoughts of conviction, Lord, that we would change our direction on past if it's wrong, Lord. Lord, I pray that if you have chosen us to speak to brothers and sisters in Christ, if you have revealed things to us that we should know and we should react to, Lord, that we would not be in fear, Lord, but we would react in your love and in your power, Lord, and in the truth of your word. Lord, help us not to take for granted, Lord, your holiness and your righteousness, but also help us to understand how much you love us. And Lord, we just thank you that you loved us first and we praise your name. And we said this in the name of Jesus Christ. We all said, amen. Amen. Go with the grace of God. Have a great week.
Take a nap.